Um, if we haven't met, I'm Pastor Corey. Hi. 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 Come on, I've been to church. The more feedback I get, the shorter I preach, so. Just say Who laughed extremely loud over here? Is that you, Schubert? Oh, I just hit the confessional booth after. Um, this is Pastor Aaron. If we haven't met, we'd love to meet you afterwards. In fact, we have a Pizza with Pastors coming up next week. If you've never done that or you just never got around to doing that, it's really your first um, kind of intro to Venue Church. We'd love to hear about you a little bit as well. And so that's happening next week after the second service. We'd love to meet with you. We talk about uh, all sorts of things, how, the, how we think about things, things that we care about as a church, things that we don't care about as a church. And um, even to ask sometimes how we handle money and how we structure church government. And uh, we're pretty open about all this. In fact, just to let you know that we always have envelopes of money ready to go. So that when a fire hits Kelowna, um, uh, you were able to send, we sent uh, $5,000 to a couple of churches there. So we sent 2500 to each church there. Can we put that, that, this is from Pastor Mike. A friend of a friend, that's from his backyard Yes, uh, two days ago, I should say. And his house has been spared so far that we know, but uh, there's a lot of people displaced. So it's not just enough to pray for somebody, you gotta help somebody. And so um, and so we're just like, we're not there on the, on the ground, and so we just wanna help them. And so thank you for just being part of a generous uh, church. So um, Also, there's been some confusion about when we're gonna go to three services. Um, we're not gonna do it at the beginning of September. We might do it in October though. We might have to, as you can see, this is the middle of summer still and we're full. The first service was too. So, anyways, it's a, it's a great problem to have, I guess. But we're just going to kind of get into September and see um, how it's looking, and then we'll kind of uh, ramp up probably into October. And uh, September, our fall kickoff is the ninth. So, cancel whatever you were planning on doing. You should just cancel Sunday, maybe, anyways, and go to church. Um, but we have a, a street fest here. It's going to be awesome. And um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. We we're just planning that last night. Okay. Um, this sermon series is about uh, odd, odd scriptures, weird ones. Uh, if you come from church, maybe you haven't heard these preached from the pulpit. Uh, if you are new to church, you're like, this can't be real. And it is. These are odd scriptures about odd things that took place in the Bible. And um, it's also about weird church people. Say amen, Vinny Church. Okay. Um, sometimes I preach about weird church people, so one day I don't have to preach about you. And uh, although you're going to hear some of our stories, you normally do. So, okay. Um, so today's sermon is called Earth Eats People. There's a lot of way to, ways to leave a church, but the ground splitting open under you and the earth swallowing you up is the probably the worst way to actually leave a church. All right. Thank you, Sean. It's called Earth Eats People. That actually happens to a bunch of church people in Israel, and we're going to talk about why. Uh, what got them to the place where the earth opened up and swallowed them up? Oh, y'all. Just wait. It's going to be fun to preach as well. Now, right up until the earth swallowed these people up, they thought that they were on God's team. They thought God was with them right up until the moment of the loud crack or whatever it sounded like. Now, listen, in your life, you don't have to stand on the giant X on the ground. You know what I'm saying? You're watching a movie and you're like, don't stand on the X, man. Someone's going to. You guys watch TV? We only read our Bibles, Pastor. No, you don't. Um, all right. Now, I think every, uh, nearly every regrettable thing in your life can be boiled down to, can I say this? Um, there's two words, thought process. Thought process. 
I think too much is made of intelligence now. I don't think raw intelligence amounts to success nearly as much as you think it does. Um, process, thought process. Why'd you do the last stupid thing that you did? Because you're stupid? Well. <laughs> or was it more about your process than you think? Your thought process. Um, let me just ask you, uh, as an example, like your next financial decision that you make, let me ask you this. What's your process? Like, what steps? Okay, I'm going to buy a car. What's your process? Or um, your next parenting decision? Your next discipline decision? What is your process? Like, this is how we win this. Or your next dating opportunity? Come on, where are my single ladies at? What's, what's your process? Well, I just go with my heart. Can I challenge? That's not a process. I trust my heart. Really? The Bible says the, the human heart is deceitful above all things. What? It says trust in the Lord. He's not wrong. Your heart can lead you in. I want, if my kids ever get married, I want them, I want their husbands to have be godly men and have a godly process. I don't want them to follow their heart. I want their heart to stay in their dang house with my daughter. And before anybody dates them, they got to talk to you. And Emil, mostly Emil. I'm, you know Emil? <laughs> Emil's a big guy. I'm going to be like, this is where the bodies go. So. Some young man out there is like, I was going to ask. Nope. You're going to meet Emil. <laughs> Somebody hurts you. Do you have a process that you go through or you're just making it up as you go? If, if I ask you like, so how are you going to spend your next financial person? What's that going to look like for you? And you have to stop and think about it. You don't actually have a process. You're just kind of winging it. Did you know that, um, that, that where's my millennials at? Millennials. Yeah, millennials. I always make fun of you guys. So love it. Um, you guys actually built this church and I'm so proud of you. However, 48% of you according to stats, had trouble during the pandemic with the simple tasks of, are you ready? It was very stressful to what to wear and what to eat every day. Like that was a struggle of like, these are, shouldn't be hard decisions. They have nothing to do with the pandemic. And why? Because the message you grew up with was like, follow your heart rather than, you know what I think would be better. See, and then enter a stressful situation. Look, if you're a 50 percenter on like a zero stress situation in decision making, how badly do you think you are in stress? You're just like, I'm just going to like make it up as I go. And your kids are like, please stop. Like a process. Why don't you spend more of your time on your process? Now, this is what a process is. It is a predetermined, predecided, principled decision before you get to the decision. So that when you get to this, like it's a marriage fight. This is our process. This is how we play by the rules. We're not just making it up as we go and hoping it's going to work out. Which normally means you get to make the rules. And then five minutes later, you change the rules. And then it's a process. It's a process. Now, um, great results come from process, not intelligence. And Layden said, amen. Amen. If you don't know, we make fun of people here and Layden is great. Um, Great results come from process, not intelligence, or smart people wouldn't sin. Right? 
Have you ever seen, have you ever met a super smart person that's too smart, that they're stupid? You ever met any su stupid smart people? Um, my wife, can I tell you a story about our life? My wife had her best friend at the time when we started dating. Uh, her, her name was Stina and she, um, she was one of those smart people. I mean, highly intelligent, cutting mind, smart, strong Christ follower, um, leadership type of person. Uh, but when I met Pastor Aaron, she was in school in the States at the time. Now, she was, a, she was supposed to be, Pastor Aaron, you know, she was supposed to be her maid of honor at the wedding, but she got herself fired. And would you like to hear how she got herself fired from being, by Pastor Aaron, from being, uh, Pastor Aaron wasn't pastor at the time, but do, would you like to hear how she got herself fired? Okay, so, so when she finally does come back into town, now we're already engaged, and we're like, you know, on the way to planning a wedding, right? So she sits down for coffee with me, and I thought it was great. I started talking about, I don't know, I just talked, right? Because I'm a talker. And uh, I started talking about what I think God could do in the country, which we're starting to see right now. I started talking about like this move of God that I think could happen. And uh, the next day, she gets together with Pastor, well, I, get, I talk to Aaron after, she goes, how did it go? I said, great, I think. Well, apparently it didn't go great, because the next day, Stina talked to her and said, uh, basically, like, I don't like him. What is there not to like? <laughs> she said, I don't see the fruit of the spirit in him. You know, like love and joy and peace and not patience. I'm like, so do you have to do all the fruit of the spirit? Or can we just, because some of y'all are patient. You can be patient, Jesse. I, as long as I got you, I'm good, right? And then she started questioning, like, and what about this move of God thing, you know? And, and so... She just got a bee in her bonnet about mostly me. And then she started going around to Pastor Aaron's friends in Calgary and starting to like gossip and kind of turn them against, you know, this marriage. And so we're at, at my mom's uh, kitchen table where we used to live and we're, we're talking and Aaron came over. And we're just talking about like, what do we do? Like she's going around and gossiping about all, you know, like, what do we do? And mom's getting into this. Mom likes a little drama, you know. And so, and then my dad walks into the room. You guys know Pastor Richard and my mom, Pastor Beth. Like, they're retired now, but we honor them and we call them pastors. And so they're in charge of the prayer team and stuff. And so anyway, so dad walks in the room. Do y'all know Pastor Richard? Has he ever forced you to get prayed for after the church service? Probably. It's for your own good. Um, so he, uh, he goes, uh, he walks in and he goes, now he's not like super emotionally connected, right? And so, but even he could tell something was going on. And so I gave him the 20-second Cope version, which is the only version, if you know a Cope. The 20-second version, you know? Just give me the hamburger, don't show me the cow. Okay. So anyways, I gave him the 20-second version. And this is what Dad said. This is what he said. Some of you have heard this. He goes, hmm, that's about right, and walks out of the room. His first and last comments about the whole thing. And he took all the stress from about 100 down to about zero because of his process. Let me help you out with this process, single ladies. I know you think you have great marriage advice, but y'all aren't married, so shut up. And all the married ladies said, amen, pastor, preach that. We're tired of our single friends thinking they know what it's like. You think it's what, you know what it's like to have a two-year-old in the store? Well, that's not how I would treat them. Oh, you wait, you wait. You just wait till God gives you a tiny little monster. 
Then we'll see what you know. My dad's process. Here's his process. Single girl, not married. Who's that? What does she know? Single girl. We'd already submitted it to our church leadership, and my parents were my pastors at the time. So them, the leadership team, our families were on board. Okay, check box two. She not in that. And I had a third one in the first service, but I can't remember what it was. Well, maybe there was only two in dad's process. But he's like, all she's got are her thoughts and opinions. But God has already spoken, so what do you want to talk about? Process, godly process. Um, if you found that interesting, Pastor Aaron and I are leading a small group again at the church. And so we got stories upon stories. Like, y'all, if you haven't got married yet, you don't know that when you get married, every crazy thing that you can think of happens on that wedding day. So let me just help you. No open mic. Ever. <laughs> Uncle Joe has been stewing on some crap that he wants to get out. And you're like, why would you give him a microphone to say it in front of people that don't, aren't related to him? That's a bad decision. Okay. Now, how could someone so spiritual as this girl and so smart get so far removed from that? Because then what happened was she got way into sin, which she was already tinkering with, but we didn't know. Oh, here's the third thing. My dad's like thinking to himself, I'm just helping him get more connected with it. Here's what he should have said to us at the time. Who's her pastor? Who's her pastor? Because she didn't have one. Meaning no human on earth could be like, hey, I don't think you're... It was just her and Jesus. And she said, well, my dad's my pastor. But he wasn't a pastor. So that's a little tricky. Because he didn't have a church, right? So I'm like, what you mean is like, I just do what I want. And my dad ought to be okay with it. All right. So listen. Every single human on earth. There is a 0% success rate of any human that has ever lived except for one human. That you will not get deceived at some point. 0% of people except for Jesus. So let's just call it zero. He's the only person on the planet ever in the history of mankind who has ever not been deceived by the devil about something. And you're like, but I'm smart. Zero. Zero. Right? So he's seen. I know your mom told you you were special. I know that you, she said that the drawing on the, on the, on the fridge looked amazing. It was not. It was terrible. She just loves you a lot. The devil figured you out about 3,000 years ago because he's seen a million of you by then. People who think like you, talk like you, they could replace you at work and they wouldn't even know that you were missing because somebody on earth has a process, you know, they're just like you, right? So let's assume that you're going to get deceived at some point. Now the devil, I'm going to tell you how it works and you're going to be like, thank you. Now I won't get deceived and I'll tell you that I can tell you how it works, but it still won't matter because we're prone to deception. The devil hangs stupid on a, you ready? Sentence. On a sentence. I'm going to tell you, um, I'm going to tell you. Here's, here's the devil's process because he figured you out. Here's his process. He mildly suggests a phrase. So not even a sentence, like a half a sentence. A few words. A phrase that you're sort of, somebody like you is sort of predisposed to like or to think was going to happen. You know, when somebody hurts you and you're like, I knew it. You know, the suspicion. And are you like kind of are already leaning towards thinking? He'll suggest something that sort of agrees with you. He'll give you a scripture sometimes that you'll wrap around it. How did he know? Watch. So 
he drops a breadcrumb in your path that you're likely, but he knows you, right? So he knows me. He's not going to put like a box of carrots in the path and hope that I eat them, right? I'm not going to fall for the temptation you fall for, but if he puts a hamburger there, I'm eating it off the ground. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm eating it and I just hope him for the best, right? He knows how you think and he has figured you out a long time ago. Uh, here are some phrases. Like it doesn't hurt to look. Hurt to look. Well, it doesn't like physically hurt your eyes to look, but it'll hurt you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I already said trust your heart. The Bible says do not trust your heart. Um, trust your kids with their devices. I hear this as a pastor. I'm like, I trust my kids. I'm like, you're a terrible parent. You trust your children? They made it to church and their pants are on backwards. You know what I'm saying? Like they might have good hearts, but the Bible doesn't say trust your children with temptation. It says flee temptation. So I don't even trust myself with my devices. That's why I filter them. And you know what I'm saying? I don't trust myself. There's a lot of weird crap out there. All right. It's a process. Um, how about this one? Your husband doesn't love you like he used to. You know, your wife doesn't want the best for you anymore. These sorts of insinuations, and, it's, and it starts with one phrase. Then he'll build a whole book on the one phrase. So then you'll start thinking about it and thinking about it. And then what happens is once you've got that phrase, once he's locked that phrase into you, which is not hard for him to do, then everything that you see will seem to agree with the phrase. Even when you're reading the Bible in the morning, you'll forget that you're reading the Bible for you, not your children. You're sitting in a sermon, somebody said last week, and then I realized it was about me. And I wish my husband were here. Then you rehearse it out loud. And as soon as you rehearse it, you'll believe it. You have an incredible power. As soon as I say something, then I got to defend it, right? So I start to believe what I say. Now that works good if you're speaking the word of God. That's called faith. You're bringing something amazing into a being that's not there yet. But if you start speaking the phrase of deception out loud, it creates a, a reality too that's going to work out evil in your life, right? You start rehearsing. One time, Pastor Aaron, she was halfway through a, a long and involved story she was halfway into it, and I, I finally couldn't, you know, you know, I'm pretty patient, and I finally just couldn't hold it in anymore. And I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. And she goes, oh, she says, maybe it was a dream. <laughs> and I said, could you please start with the maybe this is a dream? Then I'll have a box to put that in, like, you know what I'm saying? Fully convinced because she was talking about it. I'm like, but it didn't happen, right? So, um, now, here, here's a phrase that you use. I'll go to church and serve unless we have a fight in the car on the way. Oh, smart, stupid people. Why would you just, you painted a target on your own face. Why would you tell the devil? What would keep you out of church? I'll go to church unless one of my kids is uh, exhibiting symptoms of sickness. The devil's like, oh, I love making people sick. So if I do something bad, you'll do something bad and not go to church and punish God? Or bring him to the house of healing? What are you talking about? I don't want to get people sick. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. If you walked in sick, you can walk out healed. If you're broken, you can walk out. I mean, sit in the back if you're paranoid about it. But worship and get 
your lungs filled with some praise. Come on, somebody. Why would you tell the devil, hey, this is the X. If you get me to walk on this, right? Now, as a pastor's kid, see, when you go through something and then you bring it to me or your small group leader. Now, here's the thing. When I hear your phrase, my eyes glaze over. Because I know you've got a book that you want to read to me next. And you'll start reading chapter one, once upon a time. And you'll start in on chapter one, but all I can think about is your phrase, which is messed up. And that is your first time saying the phrase out loud, maybe, or, or it's your first time being deceived in that way, maybe. But I'm a pastor's kid, y'all. I've heard it 30 times before. I know I've read the book, and it's not interesting. It leads to bad things happening. And my eyes glaze over, and I'm like, I'm just stuck on the phrase. You want to hear some church people phrases? Here's one. God gave me correction for so-and-so, and I let him have it, you know. You know, as soon as you say, God gave me correction for, you know what I do? I look at your org chart. God gave me correction for my small group leader. And I'm like, org chart, small group leader, you. No, he didn't. God gave me correction for my school teacher. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. God gave me correction for my mom. Oh, now it's different. You're like, no, he didn't. You don't pay the bills. God gives correction to whom he gives authority. You know, that's who corrects, right? I look at your org chart. I look in the home. I look in the org chart. I look in the, like, God gave me correction. You might have an idea about it. You might have seen a flaw. Maybe you should be praying about it and covering it instead of trying to correct it. If God didn't give you the position, he's not going to give you the revelation. You think that you see it. God gave, no, I just look at your org chart. Now, here's another one. God is love and a loving God wouldn't. Okay, okay. First part is true. God is love. And a loving God wouldn't. And now because you are the loving God, you're going to tell a loving God what he won't do. Now you are the definition of love. And what you think about love is. And a loving God wouldn't. And then you fill the blank in with whatever it is that you wanted to do. A loving God wouldn't allow me to get hurt by playing in traffic. I feel it's quiet. I feel like the first service was into it. I'm trying to create a competition here. God is love. If you want to know what love looks like, you look at God. You don't get to define it and tell him what love does. That makes you God, and you'd be a terrible God, and nobody's going to follow you. Okay. Here's, here's, uh, here's another one, another phrase. It's, it comes in form of an announcement. Now, as a spiritual leader, this is, it's a big life decision that you tell me, and this is what you say. We've decided to fill in the blank, followed by phrase two. And God told us to. That's called a statement. It's called an announcement. You were looking for me to support that. But why did God give me my job? Or your group leader, or your team leader, or your mother, or your father. Why, what are we supposed to do? Is God confused and he just had extra job postings and he just needed a pretty face? You know what I'm saying? Because if that's true, this is not working. You know what I'm saying? Well, so why do I have my job then? Are you coming? Are you asking for prayer? Are you asking for counsel? Are you asking if God really did say that? Are you saying, see what I'm saying? It's an announcement. It's an announcement. Somebody in COVID did that. Moved their family out of town. Lost their family. He said, God, God wants us to. I'm like, why are you talking to your pastor like that? 
I can't say anything then. What am I going to say? I can't say like, no, I don't think that he did. I can't say anything. Then what do you want me to do? You want me to fight against God? I'm not going to fight against God. All right. Uh, and my personal favorite, God doesn't want me to tithe because God doesn't need my money. Tithe means, uh, if you're new to church, we give a tenth of our income to the Lord so that we can help with things like we're saying, so we can build a gospel home so people can go to heaven. Adoption costs money. So we give a tenth back to the Lord through his local church. And, um, and God doesn't want me to tithe because God doesn't need my money. So God doesn't need my money. True. He's not like, I hope that you brought your tenth with you because if you don't, my fridge is empty. You know what I'm saying? Here's a few other things God doesn't need. God doesn't need you to wear pants. Doesn't need you to exercise. He doesn't need you to eat. He doesn't need your worship. Like he's not having a bad week and he's like, I hope that Jason sings that song because if he doesn't, I'm going to have a bad week. He's like, you don't need to be generous. You don't need to forgive. You don't need to show love. You don't need to be patient. He doesn't need you to do any of those things. You need to. You need it. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need you. He doesn't even need me. But I need to. I got to. And the people around you are dying and they are not going to be with Jesus because they didn't get adopted. They need us. God doesn't need it. No. Um, you ready? Let's get into the scripture. Numbers chapter 16. Titled Korah's Rebellion. Note, not Cory. Korah's Rebellion. Think of Jesus. Okay. One day Korah, a descendant of Koath, son of Levi. So, so Le the Levites were the dream teamers of church. Okay. So the Israelites had a church, the temple. They all worshiped Yahweh. The dream teamers are people that we call who don't go to church for themselves anymore. They go, like many of you, and you serve in church. You sit one and you serve one in church. So these are the dream teamers. These are the Levites. These are like... People who get it, right? Smart people, spiritual people. Korah, uh, they incited, and it says he grabbed some other guys, Dathan and Abram and On from the tribe of Reuben. They incited a rebellion against Moses. Along with 250 leaders of the community, all prominent members of the assembly, they united against, not under, against Moses and Aaron and said, phrase one, you ready? You've gone too far. Let me walk through these phrases because one kind of builds on the next, right? You've gone too far. You've gone too far. You've gone too far. That is like intent. You went past where God allowed you to go. God gave me a word of correction for. God gave him a word of correction for. Org chart. You've gone too far. And you liked it, you know. You've gone too far. The whole community, phrase two, has been set apart, consecrated for the Lord. What they're basically saying there is super arrogant to say the whole community is, has been chosen by God just like you have to do just what you did. You know? And then it's, um, and he is with all of us. Well, sort of. But God says, I made my acts known to Israel, but my ways I made known to Moses. That's why he's in charge, right? What right do you have? Phrase four. Phrase five. To act as though you are greater than the rest of the people. Now, this is what's called projection. When your teenager comes and projects their problems on you, basically what they're saying is, if we were in charge, this is what we would do. 
Hmm. Um, listen, if, if you're not happy with who God made you to be, trying to be somebody else is not going to make you happy. It's not going to make you happy. If you're not happy there, you're not going to be happy on stage. You're not going to be happy praying. You're, not, you're just not, not going to be happy. God wants you to be happy with who God called you to be. And maybe that's the problem. When Moses heard what they were saying, he fell face down on the ground. Now, this is like leadership. that We're in a leadership convention right now. And Moses just goes face down on the ground. And, you know, there he goes acting greater than everybody. Right? Process. Process. These other guys are making it up as they go. The devil's trapping them, trapping them, trapping them. Phrase, 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 phrase. He's building a story. He's, Moses, process. Boom, face down. Like, oh, no. No, no, no. It's hard for somebody to criticize you if you're face down on the ground, by the way. If you weren't so proud of work, you wouldn't really care if somebody criticized you. You might leave it in the hands of God and just keep working hard. I'm just saying. Why, why, why do you care? Watch. He just goes face down. He's giving them something else to talk about if they want to. Then he said, tomorrow the Lord will show who's his. The Lord will allow only those whom he selects to enter his presence. He's like, I'm not doing this because I want to. I'm doing it because the Lord only allows and this is what he wants. That's the only reason I'm doing this. As if Moses wouldn't trade places with any of them on any day of the week. That word allow is very important. As you get into venue church, we have a small group leaders uh, interest party. So if you ever think like, hey, I might want to host a small group in my house or lead one or, um, or just help in small groups. If that's you, we have a potluck at 6.30 on Wednesday and we'd love for you to sign up and come to that. And um, you'll hear the word allow. This is not our church. We're allowed to do this in this way. You are allowed to lead a small group in this way, but it's not yours. It's not your small group. You're not God. You are allowed to. You're allowed to be on the stage, but this is what we're allowed to do. This is how we're allowed to do it. It's like, ooh. Okay. Um, Moses spoke to Korah. Now listen, you Levites. Watch this. Watch this. He goes after this. He goes, does it seem insignificant to you? He actually gets to their problem because he knows what it is and they don't know what it is. Does it seem insignificant? He said, you're just insecure. You're just not feeling like you matter. I get it. Moses is like, I'm insecure too. I feel insignificant too. I get it. You got to take your problems to your leaders and take your insecurities. Pastor Nate says that. Pastor Nate says, I take my, my, my pastor is his pastor, Pastor Peter. He goes, I take my insecurities to my leaders. He goes, why didn't you bring the phrase to me before you made the book? Does it seem insignificant? He goes, no, actually, think about your life. He says that God chose you from all the community to be near him so you can serve the Lord's tabernacle, stand before him. He's like, you have a call. Like, you're on the prayer team, and you're on the worship team, and, and you're working post-production and getting the gospel out to people. And You're significant. You're on the sacrifice team. You're on the, the offering counting team. You know what I'm saying? Like, you matter. Like, think about how special this makes you. Like, not because of what you're doing, but because of what you're a part of doing. And, like, you're, you're doing something. And he says, he's given you the special ministry, Korah, to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood? He's like, God called Aaron to be the priest. You know, watch this. The Lord is the one you're revolting against. Who's Aaron that you complain about him? Like, why are you mad at Aaron? And they're like, well, Aaron made that calf, right? That golden calf. And Moses is like, I know he's an idiot. He's my brother. Like, I get it. My brother Ryan idiot. He'd make a golden calf right now. No, I'm just kidding. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. I'm saying like, he goes, I know that he's not perfect. I know that he's hugely flawed, but God still likes him as priest and chose his, him and his sons to be priests. 
I'm not God. I'm like, if that makes God happy. Okay. If he hasn't unchosen him, I'm not going to unchoose him. Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abram. But they replied, we're not coming. Now, in my home, if I ever said that, well, I wouldn't be here. I mean, your two-year-old's like, I'm not coming. So, and then they send a text. They send a message, right? We're not coming. We're not going to talk to you face-to-face. We're going to send a text. That's why you don't have my phone number, so you can't send me crazy texts. I had a guy send me eight, eight chapters of a book one time because we want you to check your kids in a kids' ministry so they don't distract other people from going to heaven, but also so that they can grow. And he sent me a book about it and left the church. I'm like, but the phrase was, doesn't Jesus love children? I'm like, yes. That's why he told us to create menu kids. Yes, Jesus likes children. So his whole thing is like, you hate children. I'm like, well, no, I quite like them. I don't want to teach them in venue kids. That would be a bad decision for everybody. I love your kids. Of course we love kids. We think that the kids ministry is the most important ministry here. No offense. We think that if their generation gets it, then they wouldn't do all the stupid crap that you did. Okay, anyways, now, watch this. They send a text, and this is what the text says. Watch the phrase, isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey? Whoa. Now they use God's phrases like the promised land is a land flowing with milk and honey. And they're like, that's what Egypt was like. Do you forget what Egypt was like? Joshua and Caleb must be hearing this, and they must be like, we mostly remember getting whipped. A land flowing with milk and honey, not ours. That the, that the Egyptians got it. We got whipped. We had to make stuff. Watch this. To kill us here, Moses, you brought us out here to the wilderness to kill us and now treat us like your subjects. So like, you're going to make slaves of us. Who are they talking about? They're talking about Pharaoh. They're not talking about Moses. To kill us. He's going to kill millions of people. Moses is going to go around and like stab millions of people. And sneak around and like stab people. Like how did all these people die? I don't know. Where were you Moses? Like I was. uh... This is what they're accusing him of. To kill us. You want us dead. Intent. Moses said to Korah. Bring your. uh, Come present yourself before the Lord. Aaron will be here. He says, put incense on your incense burners. He's like, you're not supposed to, but if you want, you know, bring your incense burners. Let's do this and let's see who the Lord chooses. Meanwhile, Korah had stirred up the entire congregation against Moses and Aaron. They will cost nearly 15,000 people their lives because they listened to the wrong person. They all gathered at the tabernacle entrance. Verse 20, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, get away from these people so that I can destroy them. That's a hard verse. Get away from them so I can destroy them. And they... What do they do? Here's their process. You want to be a leader at Venue Church? Okay. It's super glorious. Um, they fall face down on the ground again. Yeah. They intercede. Look, if God's coming to wipe you out, I am. You will hear my car. <laughs> I am out. You know, these guys do this face down on the ground. They intercede. They go, oh, God, you are the one who gives breath. Must you be angry with all the people? Please spare the people, spare the people, spare the people, spare the people. The Lord said to Moses, well, one prayer face down on the ground saves the nation because of their process. If they were leaders making it up as they went, 
There'd be no Israel, everybody. The Lord said, okay, tell them to get, tell the people to get away from their tents. Like go tell their daughters and their sons, their mother-in-laws, tell them get away from their tents. So Moses got up, rushed over to the tents. Come on up, worship. He said, get away from the tents of these wicked men. Let me skip down here a little bit. Verse 31, it said he had hardly spent it. He goes, I'm going to warn you one last time, guys. He said, you can hate me, basically, but you can't hate the Lord. He goes, I don't care how you treat me. I don't care if you hate me or not, but you must not hate the Lord. You must not fight against the Lord. He had hardly finished speaking the words when the ground suddenly opened beneath them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men along with their households and all their followers who were standing with them and everything they owned. Fire blazed forth from the Lord and burned up 250 men who were offering incense. But the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the Lord's people. Did you hear that phrase already? Watch how tempting, and it just spreads like wildfire, that phrase. What phrase did your dad believe that you believe right now? What phrase do you believe right now about the church? Because somebody seeded something in your heart that was really the enemy building stupid on a phrase, building sin on a, on a phrase, on a sentence, hanging it there. What phrase do you have right now that's keeping you from your promised land? From living the life that you could live, that matters. You, on your deathbed, going to heaven, you can be like, I lived a life that was well. Look at all these people that I brought to heaven with me. What phrase is keeping you from that right now? Everybody's got one, you probably got 10. What phrase, if you don't know what it is, get prayed for afterwards. Say, show me the phrase, because it's so deep inside of me, I think it's who I am now. But it's still a phrase that the devil is hanging stuff on. You've killed the Lord's people. This is how crazy the phrase gets. You and the mole people went and created a giant machine that cracked the earth open and swallowed up all these people. We heard you do it last night. You have a giant flamethrower that nobody saw until right now and burned up 250 people. That's how crazy it gets. That's where it goes. Can I, can I help you? Because Moses says to Aaron, he, he's like, I feel like a plague has just broken out. And he's like, Aaron, do your job. All this speaking against you, you still do your job. Light the incense on the, and run for it. Run for it. Get between the plague and the people. And he gets there, but 15,000 people, nearly 15,000 people had already died. And he stands between the living and the dead because he did his job. God has a job for you to stand between the living and the dead. Don't you go and try to do somebody else's job. God has a job for you to do that is significant, that matters. Now, now, can I just take, can I just take just two minutes? I know, I know I got to get back into preaching and it's hard to keep your time down. And I've been on vacation mode, so. Can I tell you that I'm the person that you would meet? that naturally I'm quite a rebellious person in that I don't want to be told what to think. I don't want to be told what to do. I hate rules even if they make sense. And I have five, five things. Five things that I do that is a process that my first pastor who was my father helped me create that I never get to the place anymore. I haven't in two decades or more three decades. Holy. Oh my goodness. Y'all should have a younger pastor. Anyways. So I, no pastor, you're young. Oh my goodness, guy. I just teed you guys up. Okay. I don't get to the X anymore. 
Do you want to know what they are? They're not smart things. It's not, I'm not a genius. Do you want to know what they are? I take my problems up. I take my problems up and I take them up early. I don't, I take my problems up. I don't take them sideways and I don't take them down because if I gossip, that's what gossip is. You just talk. If I have a problem with what, you know what I don't do? I don't go home and talk to my wife about it because now she's a part of it. I take them up. I'll show you how I do it. I take my problems up. I don't gossip about it. The second thing I do is I take questions up. Don't take statements up the ladder to your boss. That's why you have a new job every month. Take questions up. Can you help me understand this? I'm confused by this, and if you would help me understand this, then maybe my attitude wouldn't be as bad as I apparently have a bad attitude. I take questions up. When I'm talking with my pastor, Peter, I am not telling him stuff. I am asking stuff. I am. That is, I am a different person than I am on this stage. I'm like, tell me how to think about this. Tell me how to feel about this. I want to know. The third thing that I do is every morning I thank God for my Moses, which is my pastor, Peter. It used to be my dad, which I thank God for every day. But now the person that I listen to and I get corrected by, his man Nate, his oversight on our board. He has, he has, he can look in our, our personal finances, the church, anything he wants to do. Correct us. We don't want to get off track. 100% open book. What, what do you want? I have learned that you cannot have gratefulness in your heart for somebody and criticize them at the same time. Not in the same heart. So I'm thankful every morning. Thank you, God. I told him last time I was with him, I said, I know that some of the personal pain that you're experiencing right now in your family is so that you can shelter me and my family. Thank you. I recognize that. I don't know what that's like in your case, but thank you. I see that. Please, any way that we can help you. That's what I do. Now, as long as you remember what Egypt was really like and that we shouldn't have a family, you'll love Moses. And I love my Moses because I remember what it was like to be like unsheltered in that way. And I don't ever want to go back to Egypt. Now, number four, I never get isolated. If we have a conflict, I'm staying. I don't kick my chair back and take my ball and go home. I lean in, I try to work it out. I believe it will work out. If we have a conflict, I'll work it out. I'm family, we're family, that's what family does. And the last thing I do is I never stop serving. Let's remember where we came from as we sing a song called Egypt. And let's let the Lord work on our hearts in this whole message.